Good afternoon again, everyone. Welcome to this lunch workshop on catechesis with Dr. Curtis Freeman. Uh, my name is Alex Spogelman, and I direct the Institute for the Renewal of Christian Catechesis, or the IRCC, which is co-sponsoring uh, this event with Dayspring. Uh, the IRCC is a research organization uh, that's dedicated to promoting and supporting the work of catechesis both in the church and in the academy. Uh, we're especially interested in helping churches today learn from historic uh, Christian traditions about how we might renew a robust vision of education, discipleship, and spiritual formation for the church today. Uh, so well, we host events like these, we gather resources, uh, support research, um, so if you're interested in learning more about that, I would love to talk to you about that. Um, so find me, find me afterwards. Um, it's uh, a real privilege to be at Dayspring. I want to thank you all for hosting us here. I want to thank especially Tiffany Harris uh, for helping me put on this event. And to Brent Harris for uh, facilitating uh, all of these things that will help uh, the broader public uh, enjoy this uh, at, a, at a later time. Uh, so thank you all. Thanks for being such gracious hosts. It's, it's really wonderful uh, to be out here with you all. Um, before I introduce Dr. Freeman, I'll just say a quick word about how we'll proceed. Uh, Dr. Freeman will present on catechesis for maybe 30 or 45 minutes or so. Um, and then we'll have plenty of time for questions and conversation afterwards. So be thinking about things um, that you'd like to talk about further, how this might play out in the life of the church today, or, or raise questions, or raise challenges, um, anything like that. Um, there'll be lots to talk about, and I'm, and I'm really especially looking forward to our conversation about this. Um, uh, Dr. Freeman is a research professor of theology and Baptist studies, and the director of the Baptist House of Studies at Duke Divinity School in Durham, North Carolina. He's also an ordained Baptist minister, He's uh, a research fellow with us at the IRCC, and he's written on several topics related to Baptist and free church theology. Uh, he's the author of the 2017 book, Undomesticated Dissent, Democracy and the Public Virtue of Religious Nonconformity. The 2014 book, Contesting Catholicity, Theology for Other Baptists. And the 2011 book, A Company of Women Preachers, Baptist prophetesses in 17th century England, all of which were published at Baylor University Press. Um, but his most recent book, though, and partly what he'll be talking about today, is this book called Pilgrim Letters, Instruction in the Basic Teaching of Christ, which came out just last year. And it's a really exceptional presentation and embodiment of catechesis that captures the the aesthetic imagery of William Blake and the narrative uh, power of John Bunyan, um, but it's told in a very uh, familial, pastoral, epistolary style of, of C.S. Lewis. So it's a really learned, erudite book that's presented in just an elegant and very readable form. So I highly commend it to you. I believe he's got a few, uh, there's a few extra copies laying around that you could get a hold of. Uh, if you're extra nice, and um, but I'm I'm really delighted to have you here. Thank you for coming down to to be with us and share. I'm really looking forward to our time and our discussion. Please help me welcome Dr. Freeman. Thank you so much, and uh, it's always a delight to be here at Dayspring. Um, Dayspring, as I've already said to you. Um, in the, in the worship hour and other places and spaces. Dayspring is one of those congregations when I get asked, what is the vision of the church that you're talking about? What would it look like? And I say, well, if you go to Waco, Texas, there's a church there, Dayspring Baptist, and, and they are the kind of community that I, I would imagine this sort of thing working. And so I'm just so delighted to be able to come here and to share this um, this book, not just the book that I've done, because the book is simply an instrument. The book is an, an opportunity to have conversations with people who are wanting to be followers of Jesus. And I think that's what we 
all have wanted to do. Um, several years ago, I was um, uh, in a conversation with uh, someone who shall go uh, un unnamed at the point, but we were, we were having uh, coffee together and uh, it was a, one of my pastor friends. And he said to me, you know, we are doing in our church and a lot of churches like ours a great job, I think a good job, of, of following the Great Commission that says go and make disciples of all nations. Uh, baptize them, we do that, and teach them. But then he, Jesus says, teach them everything I have commanded you. And he says, that's the part we're not doing too well at. And I, I really have to agree that... Um, you know, one of the strengths that our side of the Christian family, the Baptist tradition, has taken seriously is missions and evangelism, going and making disciples of people, uh, reaching, reaching our own children and teaching them what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But we haven't always done the kind of job that we need to do about teaching them what Jesus commanded. And if you stop and think about it, even to try to make a list of everything that Jesus commanded for us to do, it would be overwhelming. So where would you start? So um, I, I borrowed the, the line uh, from Tertullian, who is, who is one of those, and I'm looking at some of, some of you here in the audience tonight who, uh, today who probably have forgotten more than I know about uh, the early uh, church writers, but one of the, one of the early church uh, uh, leaders that I have been attracted to through the years is a man in North Africa named Tertullian. And he wrote a lot of interesting books, one on baptism that's quite interesting that is reflected in the book that I'll talk about. But he wrote a, a book that he simply called his Apology, which is really a, a defense of Christianity. Uh, and in it, he has a line that says that Christians, Tertullian says, Christians are made, not born. And I think that's an interesting and, and a very important point. He's just not, not you know, throwing that line away. He really is saying that if we are going to teach people to be followers of Jesus, to be Christians, that you, you just, it won't happen naturally. They're not just born into this faith. It's something that they have to be formed into. Christians are made and not born. And so what I want to talk with you a little bit today is about this practice, and it's, it's a practice of, of, um, of, of, of teaching Christians to be made, teaching us how to recover this lost practice that is catechesis. And again, that's probably not something that uh, if you grew up in a, in a free church, Baptist, evangelical setting, you probably didn't have catechism classes. Uh, I grew up around... Um, Catholic friends, uh, some other Protestants, Lutheran friends. Actually, I'll, I'll be candid today to you. I actually was, was raised in the Episcopal Church. And so I, I went to catechism classes as a young person. I can still remember, went back to that parish not too long ago uh, and, and reconnected with a lot of the people. But I, I remember those classes. But in being in Baptist life, I, I don't know that I have ever run across a you know, a church that I was in and say, we're going to have on Monday night, the pastor's going to lead the catechism class. But, you know, you may hear others doing it. So some people have thought, well, maybe that, that is simply a Catholic practice. And it certainly is a practice that's Catholic, not only in the big C Catholic tradition that Roman Catholics do this, but also in the wider, in the little C Catholic tradition, this is something that Christians do. So let me, let me talk a little bit about, um, about this practice. And so, um, uh, here you have Tertullian's uh, statement, Christians are made uh, and not born. And then the commission that Jesus leaves us, that we're to go and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded, and lo, I'm with you always. Remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Um, so that, that program that's described there, that commission that Jesus gives us, implies that we need to be intentional about making Christians, about this process of what catechesis is. So um, this is the, the subject of the book, and as uh, Alex has already said to you, it's, uh, it's a project that I really enjoyed. I actually put together this book because I have a son who, during COVID, 
was contemplating baptism, he's still contemplating his baptism. Uh, but what I, what I told him was, uh, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll write a series of letters to you, and you can read them. And so we started with him reading them and us discussing them. And then he said, Dad, why don't you just read them out loud, and then we'll discuss it, which we did that. But it was, uh, when I talk about this being for pastors and parents and other pilgrims, that um, the, the spiritual conversation between us, it was... It was something that we had not done in that way. It's something that I deeply had desired to have with my own uh, son, these deep conversations about what the faith is, what it means to be a follower of Christ. And, and we were able to do that. And so it does combine uh, the letter format, which is a kind of my attempt to try to learn something. If screw tape letters is, um, is, is an attempt to try to lead a soul into damnation, then Pilgrim Letters is an attempt to try to lead uh, someone on the path of salvation. Um, and, and William Blake as well. So Blake's uh, images can be quite exciting and illustrative. Um, so let, let me, let me uh, begin with, a, with just a, a few thoughts about catechesis. Um, catechesis is, is something that if you, if you just look up a definition, it, it means something like teaching, or it even really, it's, it's more the relational side of teaching. It's teaching that is by word of mouth. It's, it's really the kind of conversation that goes place. It's not the kind of teaching necessarily that you, that you do in a, a lecture hall. It's more of the sort of one-on-one -on -one, uh, conversation, relational um, uh, work that gets done. Um, and the, it's, it's the, uh, in, the, in the book of Hebrews, which you see the, the, the passage, Hebrews chapter 6, it, it talks about um, the basic teaching of Christ. Um, it, it says, uh, let us go toward perfection, leaving behind the basic teaching of Christ. So it assumes that this is basic teaching that's foundational. Uh, it is something that we want to move beyond, but you don't want to move beyond it. It's like you wouldn't want to go and, and build a house if, if there were no foundation, right? You wouldn't just go out and say, just start here with the ground and put up some uh, poles and just stick a house on it. If it doesn't have a proper foundation, big wind comes along or some other kind of storm uh, and it, it, it might not last through that storm. So the foundation is it, not something that's necessarily seen, but it is something that is truly important. Without that foundation, um, whatever you put up on top of it, the structure can look wonderful, but if it doesn't have a solid foundation, then you are going to be in trouble. So that basic teaching of Christ, the elemental <coughs> matters, you know, this is what the Apostle Paul talks about to Timothy when he says that, um, that Timothy uh, should faithfully hand on uh, this message that, that Paul has given him to other faithful followers. So it's a, it's a sense of, of handing on a relational, that's, that's, the, that's catechesis, that's the kind of practice that I, I was trying to uh, focus on here. Now, uh, one of the earliest examples of this um, is, um, uh, is in a, a book uh, that <clears throat> we, we probably haven't read. It's not a book that is in the Bible. It has the title, the Didache, which means the teaching of the Twelve. Uh, the, it's a, the assumption is this is what the apostles were teaching. Uh, it is not a, a book that's written as a part of the New Testament canon, but it is a book that is closely related to it in, in both in time and in the substance of it. And so it's more of a, of a sense when you read this book, the Didache, the teaching of the Twelve, that you get a sense what early Christians were talking about was important. And... Um, one of the things in the reading of the Didache that you get a, that you get a sense of is that it, it really is a it, it is a, a kind of manual of Christian catechesis. Is this is what they were teaching? And while some of the later models of of, uh, of catechetical instruction that were that were uh, developed uh, by by Christians and some certainly some of the ones that come in in the modern period are more interested in you know, doctrinal questions of like, you know, what do you, you know, what do we believe about this? And 
and then the answer is given. And there'll be big questions about Christ or the Trinity or something like that. But when you read the Didache, the Didache is really interested in if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, if you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to be baptized, are you ready to follow Jesus? Are you ready to ask it in a different way? You know, our Methodist colleagues, they ask this question, uh, are, are, are you going on to perfection? And the answer usually has to be something like, they, they know that they're never going to be perfect, right? Uh, none of us are, are there. But the answer is, uh, by God's grace, going on. And that's what the Hebrew letter says, that you know, leave behind the basic teaching, go on to perfection. So the, the Didache was very interested in um, and the, the, uh, the, the uh, commitment to enter into this way of life of following Jesus, a way of holiness. And so um, one of the passages of the Didache, one of the very beginning passages, is about um, <clears throat> what's called the two ways. And it, it goes back to the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, where Jesus echoes the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, that there are these two ways. One is a narrow way, a way that leads to life. One is a, a very broad way that leads to death. But it's not just Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. You can go back to Moses and, you know, the Torah. I'm laying out the way of life, the way of death. Choose life. This, is, this has always been what the people of God are called into uh, to make this, this kind of commitment. Um, to follow into this way of Jesus. Now, uh, the, the the process of catechesis early on, um, and if, if you want to know more about this, if you would go to the uh, to the website that, that uh, Alex has pre prepared at the at the institute, and there's some great resources not only in terms of bibliography, but you know there are other other things there. But like you can learn about early catechesis. And early on, probably in the first several hundred years of Christianity, certainly by the year 300, they had an actual office of the catechumen where people, as they were preparing to be baptized on Sunday, on Easter Sunday, uh, they might go through a three-year process of learning and growing and reciting the creeds, listening, you know, doing ministry of the church, uh, working with the widows um, and orphans and so forth. And, and preparing for that coming of baptism. But you went through this process of uh, catechesis before, and the Didache is certainly one of the examples um, before that, uh, that lets us know what, what it looked like. Now, uh, as I've said, the um, catechism, catechesis, is not, is not simply a Catholic, it is a Catholic practice, or a Roman Catholic practice, but it's also practice that is Catholic in Little C. Um, it, it may be a surprise to some of us that, that actually uh, Protestants did this really intentionally until, I don't know exactly when it, it, it stopped, but sometime early 20th century pro probably, um, there, there's certainly still, you know, it's a, it's a very vigorous practice now uh, in uh, the Catholic Church. Um, I'll say a bit more about that, but you can kind of see here some of the various various sorts of catechisms that were there. One of you know Martin Luther put together this uh, shorter catechism, uh, which uh, he intended to be used not only in church but with families to sit around the table to learn the Lord's Prayer and to discuss the Lord's Prayer, what it means, and uh, to learn the Ten Commandments um, and the Sermon on the Mount and uh, a lot of other church doctrine. There's a section on the, the sacraments and, and so forth. Um, so Luther put that together as a basic. I mean, I, I would even describe this as that, that uh, catechesis, it's like learning a language. It's like if, you, if, you're, if your mother tongue, your, your first language is English, and you want to learn to speak Spanish, it doesn't just come naturally. You have to learn the grammar. You learn the, the, the basic, um, you know, um, you, you learn basic words. You learn how to form sentences. You learn how to ask questions, have conversation, and pretty soon, you know, if you get out somewhere, you can go to the grocery store and, you know, figure out what to buy or get on a bus or something like that. But you don't, but you don't just walk into to Mexico and start uh, kind of wandering out speaking. And why should we think that we people should just wander into the church 
and speak Christian. And we say, well, they've asked Jesus in their heart. That's wonderful. Well, they've been baptized. That's great. Um, we want that to happen, but we want them to have a basic grammar to know how to speak as Christians. Um, so there's not only uh, Luther's catechism, the Westminster uh, Shorter Catechism, which Protestant, particularly Presbyterians, the, the, um, there's the Baltimore Catechism, there's the Heidelberg Catechism, uh, you know, a lot of these things that, that were used, um, and two that are here on the screen that you can probably see. Uh, one that was uh, very popular uh, by Benjamin Keach in the 17th century, a London pastor, Baptist pastor, and it's simply called the Baptist Catechism. It's very popular, and it's been updated. Uh, even John Piper has done his version of the Baptist Catechism, but there are quite a number of others that um, uh, have revised that. Uh, one that uh, I am very fond of, and it sort of was in the background of, of the book that, uh, the catechism that I wrote and the letters that I put together, was Thomas Grantham's St. Paul's Catechism. Now, uh, uh, that's a, a, a little bit of apology to my New Testament uh, colleagues, because at that time, St. Paul's Catechism, it was like the book of Hebrews was considered to be one of Paul's letters, and so uh, at least that's what they thought. And so since St. Paul had written Hebrews, the, the uh, Hebrews 6 was then St. Paul's Catechism. Um, but uh, it, it really, it's, a, it's a, these same six principles that I uh, mentioned in, in my catechism. There are quite a number of others, and I um, just wanted to show you this. This, these, are, these are some, that's not all of them, but that's some that I've collected. And you can kind of see they're little pamphlet-sized things. They're not written in, in ways to try to be impressive in terms of the rhetoric. Um, it's just a straightforward, kind of clear, concise presentation of, of the faith. And it's not so much what's the text that's there, that these are instruments to be used in the conversations that we have with young people uh, as they are learning what it means to speak this Christian language that's ours. Now, there's a um, uh, one of the things that, that since I said that's 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 an establishment of a practice that was not just Roman Catholics and Lutherans and Presbyterians and also that Baptists were doing this. Uh, up, up through in the, the list of catechisms, the, the Southern Baptists were still producing catechisms in well into the 20th century. I know that um, the Baptist Sunday School Board printed some in like, um, I think, 1930s or 40s, but, but somewhere about mid 20th century, they just kind of fell away. And actually the practice had, had died, uh, or at least faded a, a long time uh, before. Um, there was a, a recent article, and Alex uh, and I have talked about this. It's, a, I think, a, a really insightful article in the Atlantic um, magazine um, by Peter Weiner, a journalist that was thinking about what's happening in America and thinking uh, about, uh, in particular, the, the kind of thing that happened on January 6, 2020. Uh, when the U.S. Capitol was uh, uh, a mob, and whatever you call happen, what happened there, that, um, and what happened around it, and what's happening in our country now, and how much of that is being fueled by churches. Not that, that necessarily that pastors were out there, but um, I, I, I went in... Um, to the uh, group from North Carolina that were indicted out of uh, January 6th and, and just looked into their stories a little deeper and they were deeply involved in churches. And that was a certain, some of them were like worship leaders in churches or Bible study teachers in churches. And you know you saw a lot of Christian symbols there on January 6th. And, and um, so what Peter Weiner does in this, in this uh, article is he's asking the question, What's going on with all that? And one, he interviewed a number of people, uh, but one of them that he interviewed was James Ernest. Some of you actually know James. Uh, I think he's a Christic scholar uh, as well. Um, but um, 
He's the vice president of Erdman's Publishing in Grand Rapids. Uh, uh, and uh, his take on it was this, that, that what we are seeing is a massive discipleship failure caused by a massive catechesis failure. Now, I, I'm not even sure how many people would understand what he said. But if, but if you read my book or if you think about the things that we're talking about here, you begin to understand what he's, what, what he's trying to describe there. Um, and I, I do not think necessarily that um, establishing a catechetical program in your church or in all of our churches is going to stop things like, it's, well, it's not going to correct things like uh, January 6th, or it's not going to resolve the culture wars that we're, we find ourselves in. Um, I mean, that's going to take more massive kinds of treatment. But I do think if you want to think about it in terms of like the pandemic, we've, we've learned this that, um, I, I hope we've learned, everyone has learned this now, that uh, while the, uh, the vaccines may not keep you from, from getting uh, the virus, uh, the COVID virus, um, or getting COVID, it, it, it will prevent you from getting really sick. And it will prevent you probably from dying, most likely. Your chances, if you have the vaccine, you're probably not going to end up in a hospital and you're not going to die. Let I me, mean, there are some people that can, you know, Colin Powell, others, there are reasons behind that, right? It's, but it's a, it's a preventative measure. And I, I do think that there's that same kind of thing that catechesis, teaching people, because it, it's not, there's not enough in this to correct someone's worldview, but what, what we're trying, what we're really more about, if you go back and even look at the Didache or the other, like the uh, Apostolic Constitutions, which is another uh, big work in sort of catechetical, larger instruction. Um, there, there's not enough there to correct worldviews, but what, what you're doing is setting someone on the right path. You're shaping someone's moral vision enough to where they're headed in a way. Now, you can, you can get off the path. There's, that certainly happens, you know, and the book of Hebrews is, it talks about that, too, about people that are, that are wanting to turn back and what is, what is their um, condition if they, if they do turn back. But, but I do think that catechesis is, is like a vaccination. Uh, it's, it's gonna, it, it, it may not correct the real sickness that we have uh, in our churches now, but it will inoculate us uh, and our children and our young people from uh, getting uh, spiritually sick, which, you know, we're, we're, a, lot, we're a lot of churches are sick right now, and, and I think Part of the problem is, is, is what Alex and others have identified uh, as, um, you know, catechetical. Um, so let me let me talk a little bit about the recovery of catechesis, and um, this is, I think, a, a really important thing. And again, why I think it it it's good for a church like Dayspring because um, if someone mentions the word Catholic to you you don't like, you know, you don't flinch. Um, and th and that, that means that like, you know, what, what um, Pope Francis is doing right now, I led a, uh, in our congregation, I led a four week uh, study in our church on Fratelli Tutti because I thought that is something Baptists need, any Christians need to learn how to speak this and the Pope is, is helping us to do that. So, you know, you, you, can, you can say Catholic, but um, we do owe a lot to Vatican II is where, where this started. And in Vatican II, there was a push, um, a document that recommended the establishment of the Office of Catechumenate, which had lapsed. I'll go back to you know, Cyril of Jerusalem and all that stuff. And so what came out of it was, was this, um, and I'm not suggesting, this is my study edition of the right of Christian initiation of adults. Um, but it, it is a recovery of the catechumen, and it's a lot of great resources there. And um, what, what uh, 
you know, what came out of that after the RCIA, um, they, uh, Pope John Paul recommended the, the development of a new catechism, which, uh, you know, the old one, the Baltimore Catechism, which is really short, but the new one is a big, thick one, but it's, you know, a very rich resource that's there. But what happened after RCIA came on is that Protestant groups began to develop. The Lutherans, Presbyterians, others developed uh, own, their own resources, drawing from what the Catholic uh, Church had done, but developing with their own tradition. Um, I don't know that we have anything quite like that uh, for the Baptists. Maybe we need a Baptist RCIA, but uh, it, it is a, uh, it's a, um, you know, it's a, a great resource uh, that, that developed uh, and kind of draws on that ancient uh, tradition. So uh, let me kind of return back to the basic teaching of Christ, which is in Hebrews, that we should go on to perfection, leaving behind this basic teaching. Now, it doesn't mean forgetting the basic teaching, not doing it, um, but what is the basic teaching? Uh, repentance from dead work, faith towards God, instruction about baptisms, and it actually says baptisms, very plural, you may want to ask that question. Laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment, and um, what, what I try to do in, in uh, the Pilgrim Letters book, or what I, what I do is I offer first a, a catechism, which is a very simple, short, I think mine's only like three pages, the, the, the catechism itself. Um, but uh, what what I do in this question-answer format um, is, you know, give a, a question, what is repentance? What is faith? What, what, why, why do we baptize? Or what is baptism? Why do we lay hands on those who've been baptized? And what is the hope of, of those um, who have been baptized? And what is, it, what is God's judgment on those who follow Christ in baptism? And then I give a, an answer. Now, you know, it's always a, a, when you have a, a, a person who's not, a, I mean, I go to church, but like I don't speak for any Baptist group except myself. I wish I, I wish I could say that there was a church group that had endorsed this or something like that, that they had a little more authority. Uh, there wasn't anything out there, so maybe they'll come up with something, but until they do, I was just going to throw mine out there. But what, what I recommend that when you, when you do this, and since this one is so sh short, I think it's a little easier to do it, but is to, act, it's not just to, to read those and to talk about them, but to actually have young people memorize them. And, you know, I know that's not something we typically do uh, today, is, you know, used to my grandmother would talk about that they would, uh, when they would learn their lessons, part of that was recitation. That you, would, that you would memorize something, and it could be a poem or something like that, but it didn't mean tell me what you thought about this poem or tell me what the meanings of these symbols in this poem are. And what do you think the poet is trying to get across? What they wanted you to do was just, can you recite the poem or can you recite the speech uh, or what, whatever it was. Um, knowing that at, some, at, at, at that point, you may not even understand but you have those words, like you learned the grammar. And do you remember, in first, I, I can remember when I was in first grade, I know they don't do them anymore, but I remember my, my teacher, Miss Nance, and she was teaching us, you know, we had those readers, we had, ours was Dick, Jane, and Sally, you know, and it's like, you know, run, Jane, run, run, Dick, run, see Jane, run, Jane runs with Dick, you know. Whatever, but you but you learn the basic grammar by just doing that sort of thing and memorizing. Um, so I think the actual memorization is a is an important part of this because it it gives young people a grammar and at some point they may actually learn it. Now the reason why Martin Luther wanted like the Apostles' Creed and the Lord's Prayer in there and the Ten Commandments and those had to be memorized too is again, that's a part of the grammar. Maybe that's something you also want uh, to include. But let me, let me just kind of run through, and I'm gonna stop here. Uh, here, I'll just run through the examples. So this is, this is like the first principle. What, what does it mean to repent? It means 
that I've renounced the powers that would control my life and I'm ready to start the Christian journey that begins when I stop doing it my way and am ready to follow the way of Jesus. And we give two scriptures there. Now, if you could memorize that question and answer, then, then you could then talk about that a little bit more about it. But even if you don't quite know, you know, it's like in the story of the Pilgrim's Progress, you know, the evangelist points and he says, do you see the wicked gate? And he says, where is it? He says, do you see the light? That direction. And he says, I can see the light. And he says, well, move, go toward the light and you'll find the wicked gate. And then you'll get in the wicked gate. Barry Harvey and I went to the wicked gate, didn't we? Uh, which is in uh, Elstow, the old Elstow church. And the wicked gate was the small, they had a big church door, but inside the door there was a smaller one. And you almost, you had to kind of get down uh, if you wanted to go through it and in, into the church. And when you, in, you know, you enter into the church, then, then you'll begin to understand these things. Um, and catechesis is like that. You, you don't, you may learn the words all at once, but it's the sort of thing, and even after you get out of the church and go through that wicked gate, you know, you're going to get in the, you know, with the giant despair down in the dungeon, and you may be under Mount Sinai under legalism, but it's the, it's the things that you hear, the things that you know, you know, the scroll that you've been get, given that you can go and say, oh, this is the key to get outside. But he already had it uh, when Bunyan talks about Christian being down there in the dungeon of uh, giant despair. Um, so I, I've, uh, you know, all the principles are there. Uh, what is faith? Um, my definition of faith, you may want to take issue with it, but I tried to give a broader kind of definition. Not, it's not just simply accepting Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I hope it involves that. Uh, I mean, I, I trust that it does, but Faith is more than that. It's trusting in my life and all, all time or in God's care and keeping because in the death and resurrection of Jesus, the world has been made right. I mean, it's part of what I was trying to say this morning. It's like, we have a different story. We have a different story. And it's, it's a story of resurrection. It's a story of, you know, final, uh, a, a final coming and uh, a fulfilling of all things. Uh, um, what, what, uh, who should be baptized? It's, it's about that. Uh, you see Bunyan's picture on, or Blake's picture, laying on of hands, which is not something that had, was my practice uh, as a Baptist, but it's, it's one of the things that Grantham and, and that tradition of the Baptist taught in, in an important way. Tertullian has a wonderful, a wonderful account of the laying on of hands. If you go back and read his book on baptism, which I cite a good bit here, um, um, really, but the, but the laying on of hands in some ways is simply a, a gesture to say to God, this is the one. Send your blessings, send your power on this one, Lord. Uh, and it's such a powerful symbol, uh, a sign that should be enacted. The laying on of hands and then uh, hope for resurrection of the baptized and then finally what is God's final judgment of those who are baptized and united in Christ? Now, um, as I said, I, I think it would be really helpful, important for uh, for students to uh, learn that language, to learn how to recite it, uh, to learn how to use that, and to speak. Um, you know, I, I think. Um, uh, which I, I didn't mention that Wayner, Wayner asked the question of, um, you know, about catechesis and um, um, Ernest talks about that and J.I. Packer and others have talked about, you know, why did we lose catechesis and they talk about uh, external factors of how the culture, the kind of the liberal culture has said, you know, we need to think for ourselves and don't teach people what we think and it's too authoritarian. So, let people think for themselves, which is probably too. And also that um, the church has lost its authority. But I, I think there's another kind of very simple answer to it, and, and I, I don't mean to offend any Sunday school teachers here, but I do think that part of the answer is that Sunday school took our place of catechesis. And Sunday school has a place, but I don't think it necessarily teaches people to live into baptismal vows. And so part of 
reinstituting a catechumenate in the church is to think about all of our Christian formation as helping people to learn what it means to follow Jesus, to be, uh, to live out their baptismal vows. Um, one of the more memorable lines, and my, my colleague, if you know Stanley Harawas, has a lot of memorable lines, uh, some that we probably should forget, but uh, uh, some that you can't forget, that, that just, some that recur like this one over and over, but it's, I think it's a powerful line where he says, you can only act in a world that you can see. And you can only see what you can say. And I, I would add one other line to that. And we can only say the language that we have been given. We can only speak because we've learned to speak Christian. And that's, that's if there is an answer in my sense of what catechesis is and why my passion now is that churches uh, learn how to retrieve this practice. Not just Baptist churches, but like we all need this. It's because if we're going to live and, 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 and be faithful to Jesus as his people today, we're going to have to learn how to speak Christian and how to see the world and act in the world because of how we, uh, uh, what, what we have learned in catechesis. So, um, this, this catechetical instruction, I would say, is it's the basic teaching of Christ. Um, it's evangelical and it's ecumenical. It's formational and it's educational. It's confessional and it's convictional. Uh, it's about making Christians. It's about helping them to learn to speak and to live as Christians so that the church can truly be the church. So thank you for joining uh, me today and for listening to me. And I'd be delighted to have some conversation with you about what you've learned because you've been doing this a bit, Tiffany, here at uh, Day Spring. So maybe you want to say something about that. Um, or some of you have other questions or comments, I'd be glad to receive those at this time. all speak at once, so that's fine. <laughs> if it's a little awkward, quiet, that's, that's fine. Well, I'll, I'll go ahead first. Okay. Uh, and that is starting with your book, which you obviously was the first thing you experience. What would you recommend, first for young people, in addition, and it could be an actual catechesis, it could be something else, and what would you recommend for adults in addition to your text? Um, that's a that's a really good question. I think there are a lot of a lot of wonderful resources that, that we could point to. Um, I mean, I, I think one of the things, and what I don't have here, although it's alluded to in the book, I mean, I, I talk about the creeds, I talk about, uh, and these are the kinds of things that Luther equips in there, is kind of basic scriptural knowledge, basic um, 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 liturgical knowledge about how to pray and so forth. Um, I, I'm actually engaged in a second volume on this, which this one is on the basic teaching of Christ. The next one is, is instruction in the mysteries of the gospel. So that one's on, it's um, one Lord, two testaments, three persons, four senses, it's a scripture, five acts of God, uh, six seasons of the church year, and seven sacramental signs, um, which are seven of the mysteries that I wanted to, to get to. But it's a it's a really good question. I, I love I love actually you know Lewis you know things like mere Christianity I think is a wonderful starting place. Um, uh, Alex has tremendous resources of that sort on the on the on the website and the bibliography. Um, but I, I do think that um, you know even even some of the older catechisms are good. I I like. Um, this resource, which is terrific, the right Christian initiation for adults, which is an attempt to recover, um, you know, the ancient catechumenate for today for Catholics. And there, um, I, I mentioned in the in the back here. Maybe I should just point to those, Barry. Um, some of those other resources. I don't know if I can recall all of them, but um, yeah, it's it's on page 103. Further recommendation. So. Um, 
Yeah, um, let's see some of them. Um, one of them is one of your students, Brian Holland, has a wonderful, wonderful piece on catechesis and Christian discipleship. Um, uh, Alan Kreider has got a wonderful piece in there that I, that I mentioned. Um, yeah, so there's a, a good number of, of those. Uh, Stanley, I, Stanley Harwas has a little book called The Character of Virtue. That's, a, that's another one. So I think it, it may not be any one thing that like that, but I do think getting people... Um, Getting, I, mean, I would say that, that, that um, people who are formed in a church like Dayspring have less of a leak than a lot of evangelical Baptist churches because I don't know how many times we had, we had the doxology today, there was a Trinitarian prayer, there was, there was a, another Trinitarian song. I mean, so like, that's more Trinity than I heard probably in three years in the Baptist church I grew up in. So um, you've got... You've got better resources just in the practices here, but it's a it's a really important question. Really important question. I hope that helps a little bit. Tiffany, you want to add to that? You, you're. Confession of sin. Well, no, like, 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 I'm thinking specifically the Barman confession of the Oh, gosh. Gotcha. Yeah. The Barman declaration right. of the confession. Yeah. Like, what, what role do some, because a lot of denominations have declarations and confessions, and how, what role do those play in catechesis? Well, I mean, I think that's a, that's a longer, I mean, I'm sitting here looking across the way, my former pastor, colleague, friend, John Lockhart, um, Put together a catechism based around the Baptist faith and message. So it was a, you know, one of the good things about that. It was longer. It was more comprehensive. It was harder to use because I don't know how many questions you ended up, John, but it was like a hundred or more. Um, like I say, I've got, I've got six, uh, which is too short, maybe. Uh, but you're right. The Barman Confession. Uh, I mean, one of the things that, the, for example, the Barman does. Um, is that it raises the whole question of race, doesn't it? Uh, and the whole question of racism and so forth, which makes it a really powerful um, document today. And if you stop, if you know, I actually spend a good time talking about Barman in the next book is one of the sections. In particular, talk about the way the Baptists didn't participate in that in Germany. And I don't want to heap, you know, responsibility on them, but they they just said, well, like, um, as long as they're not throwing us in jail, then we're okay. We're just not going to say anything because we've got the freedom to worship. But, like, they, that, that sort of overlooks the fact that other people didn't, right? And so the thing that Barman does is it, sh it changes the subject. So I think you're right. Like, today, there's nothing in here about race or racism or any of the things that are that are happening in our culture, but like I think it would be really important to introduce that and have those as conversations because like one of the one of the baptismal confessions, if you look at biblically, is in he is in Galatians three, right? And what does it say there? That there is no longer a Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, but we're one in Christ. Now that doesn't mean that color goes away or that gender goes away or that economics goes away. It, 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 you can't just wipe those things out. But what it, what it does say to us is that we have to begin to see that those markers are not determinative of who, who we are in Christ or who others are in Christ. 
but that, that, that our life is hid with Christ in God, that that becomes the determinative marker. And it, but then it, then it leads us to the question um, of, well, what, what will we do now that others are saying that those are the definitive markers? How are we going to break down these walls? What do we need to do to resist that? What do we need to do to, in terms of this morning's lesson, ensure that there's justice now, justice for all, that it's love in action? What do we need to do today? And, and so you're right. It's not enough to just say get people's you know, faith right in, in this simple way, but it needs to be the bigger question, which is I think what the Didache, when I keep going back to that, there's, there's very little mention of Jesus in the Didache. It's, it, it's more about liturgy. It's more about lifestyle. It's more about holiness, um, which is almost something that, that you can't just have a checklist to say, do you believe in Jesus? Check. Got that one off. Do you accept him as your Lord? Yes. Got that. You, you really have to interrogate someone. You have to see how they live. And then as they respond in a certain way that might be insensitive to someone to say, I saw you talk about what happened. What, what was going on there? And, and um, so it, it, but it does involve deeply those very things that you described, which are extremely so thank you for that. Dan Williams. Um, I think this was assumed in some of the things that you said, I wanted to say it out loud. Um, if we are going to work at recovering some of the ancient patterns of doctrina teaching, um, it's always going to have to start, if we follow that model, it's always going to need to start with some sort of triune yeah. That's where um, a lot of the early architects yeah. thought that's where you always need to start. Right. Because if you get that, you're going to get quite a number of the things to follow. Right. Um, everything will flow right. out of that once you unpack it. Yeah. Um, and the other thing, uh, um, I'm just curious about this, really. Um, and you might have something on this. Uh, I wasn't brought up a Christian, <clears throat> um, and so I'm a kind of later convert. And I converted to a free church pattern. And one of the things we were implicitly taught is that repetition is bad. Yes. Yeah. And it was, it, it sort of felt Catechism or any ideas like that were immediately relegated to, well, those are things you repeat. Right. And therefore, we don't need that. Right. And it became a way of defining ourselves apart from someone else, like a Roman Catholic. Yeah. And so repetition became a kind of, uh, we don't go in that direction. Right. And, I wonder if that had something to do with the law of catechism was creating divides within Protestant groups, but especially within Protestants versus Greek Orthodox or Roman Catholicism or something like that. Yeah, both those points. I don't know if I need, do I need to repeat any of that? And it, well, but the Trinity part, I, I, you couldn't get me to agree more with that. And it's part of the reason, it's implicit and it's actually written into the text of the of uh, Pilgrim Letters, and I had a, uh, a friend recently who's actually moved from Baylor. He was a minister here, moved to Baylor with his wife, who's on our faculty at Duke now. And um, so I was meeting with him, and I, we, he had gotten a copy of the book, and he said, now is this a general Baptist uh, catechism? And I said, well, because he says the six principles are, and you're right, the six principles actually in our Baptist history, in some ways, even that was a kind of resistance against the Apostles' Creed and Nicene Creed, and particularly the Athanasian Creed, which it had with all its anathemas and that sort of thing. And you can kind of understand that, but they said, well, we just go by simple Bible language. So we got Hebrews 6. That's, our, that's our, enough of our confession. I, 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 um, I, I have a lot more Trinitarian um, um, 
granularity in this, and, and in the second uh, volume that will come after this, there's certainly more of that. But on the repetition part, I think you're exactly right, and you know this is this has been um, part of the challenge of the free church tradition. It um, there are good reasons for that, so it's I think it's less the Catholic problem. It certainly in the Baptist origins, it was in England, and so in England it was illegal to pray with more than twelve people if you didn't use the Book of Common Prayer. You couldn't say a prayer from your heart. They would throw you in jail because you were, it was, a, that's what, that's why Bunyan was thrown in jail in that law that I read. Um, and so, but what that did is why Bunyan defends what he's, St. Paul, when he says, I will pray with the Spirit, right? So I don't pray with the book. I pray with the Spirit. I pray from my heart. Uh, or Jesus said, don't give me those vain repetitions, you know, go and just, you know, pray in your secret place. You can find scriptures to do that. I, I get all that. The wonderful thing, and I told Alex this uh, maybe last night as we were having dinner, one of the wonderful things about the Book of Common Prayer is that you these prayers God has been hearing since Cranmer wrote many of them, uh, the collects that are there, there. Um, they're beautiful. They're well. They're not all rhetorically lovely, but they're they're petitions that as Christians we ought to be praying more than, Lord Jesus, we really love you, and we really love you a lot, and we really want to come and say thanks, because we love you. You forgot Amen. just. Just. Yeah, I just. forgot that. Um, <laughs> so the repetition part, I think it's, that's a, it's, a, uh, repetition is a good thing. Learning, learning the grammar of the faith. You know, I think what Stanley is saying in a different way in that line, that we can only act in the world that we can see, we can only see what we can say. And we only say when we have a language to, to say something. And the church gives us this gift and says, you can certainly say more than this, but we hope that you will start with this as a basic grammar to learn how to frame a Christian sentence. So thank you, Dan, for, for those comments. Yeah. Any, any, anybody else? Amy, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, there, certainly there is, and I think you're right. Do you have a thought about that? About that? Some of those hymns are really good. Some of them are maybe not quite as good, but uh, you know, better than nothing. But well, you know, I remember Roger Olson, the starter of theology classes, with a hymn every yeah. time and would have us kind of break it down. I do the same. A lot of times, I'll just start singing a hymn for students, and they'll join in and sing. And you know, that's one of the great things in our Baptist tradition. Where I am, I've got maybe in the room seven or eight different kinds of people, but like if I pick a hymn that all of us know, then we can sing it from heart, from the heart. And you know, it's a it's something we share and that's a those are important things. But we need more grammar. We need more stuff to hold us together. Um, yeah. Dr. Lockhart. One of, one of our great blessings as Baptists is the misunderstood doctrine of the priesthood of believer. Yeah. And then one of our curses as Baptists is the misunderstanding of the priesthood of the believer. And so we come to the place where don't tell me what to believe. And we don't want someone to ask a question that calls us to an accountability to a group. Right. Because we're an individual priest all by ourselves and we, God and I have that fixed. Right. Yeah. Part of that's culture. Um, part, part of that is a, a independence of which we celebrate tomorrow. We would like to declare our independence not only from England but from any responsibility. And, and so people don't want to learn what you want to teach us because I, I don't need that in my life. Right. I've kept myself out of jail as you were referring a minute ago. So I'm okay. I, I don't need, and, and that's where I find the rub. People don't want this. 
because it calls you to a group that you say we and we becomes very formative and important even transformative and we have a we want to declare our independence from anything that's going to make us accountable um, I, I think we have a hill to climb but i heard a good sermon this morning uh, and not on the radio on the way over. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, but where we have a story, always in the minority, but always the right uh, story. And, uh, and so we have to confront that hyper-individualism that calls us into we together are going to believe something. Uh, and that's a very hard thing to do. Well, you're you're so right about that, and and you're you're singing a tune that, that I love to sing on that, um, and it, it's it's more what what Luther and others were saying is when when he spoke about priesthood of believers, he's talking about being priests to one another, um, and and there's a there's that lovely line I, I love, and I'm trying to think it's it's on his um, whatever the the track that he writes on marriage, and he says. Even the father who changes the dirty diapers is doing his priestly work, you know. And, and he gives us this thing of like our, our daily life can be to the glory of God. And it can subvert gender roles because he's saying like, you know, don't make the women go wash those diapers. You men get in there and wash those dirty diapers. That's your, that's your Christian duty. Um, but, but we do that for Luther and for Calvin as well. Not only the priestly, but also the prophetic and the royal, because Jesus is the high priest, and Jesus is the great prophet, and Jesus is the King of Kings, and we share in His ministry through the Holy Spirit, because we have been baptized and we are following Him. So it's a yeah, it's a it's not just me, it's us, it's all of us in that in that journey. To yep. pick up on what he said and also combine with Dan, I think it's a little bit less resistance to that here at Dayspring because we are somewhat repetitive. The songs that we sang that you noted on, we sing those every Sunday. In every baptism, we say the Apostles' Creed after the, the baptism has taken place. The Eucharistic service is very similar. First of all, we always have the story of the institution, uh, which surprisingly, but I've been in many churches where that's not said, and we always say the Lord's Prayer together. And so, even, indeed, even as you go through this door, look up. And what do you see? Mm -hmm. You see a symbol of the Trinity. So oh, I know. I'm not sure we've overcome your problem with the problem you're talking about. Mm -hmm. But we've certainly are, you know, you, you, I think we've cracked open the door yeah. and hopefully we're stepping more into it. Yeah. Well, that's good. I mean, you had, you had really good, thoughtful leadership here from the very beginning. Not just in shaping the ministry of the church, but like the building itself. And Sharon, like, are you commented like, I'm, I'm looking. Every window in this church is three windows. It's like the Holy Trinity, all <laughs> looking at me all the way around the room, uh, and up up there. So yeah, it's it's in the architecture, and that's that's uh, I mean that's why you have stained glass windows, right? And these aren't stained glass, but they're there's there's the symbols are there. Um, we probably have time for maybe one more question if you got one. That's fine. If not, yeah, Dr. Walker. Um, I'm familiar with the New City. Catholic oh, yes, yes, yeah. But I've lost track if it's gotten traction and if, if it's going into your question about a recommendation. Yeah. I, I don't really know. I think it's more of a reform. Yeah, approach, it is. But um, it's kind of gospel coalition, I think. Is that, that right? Yeah. Yeah. But it's a, I think it's a great resource. It's been something, I don't know about the reception. Do you? Well, it has an app, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, people are, I mean. I, I think it's, I think it's widely popular in the circles that it's popular yeah. in. Right. And they really want everybody else to be on board. Yeah. <laughs> Whether, I, I wouldn't say that it is widely accepted or taught or yeah. anything beyond those <laughs> circles. Yeah. And you're probably, today with, as, um, divided as the church is in America, I wouldn't expect that one catechism is going to work for all. And I, I think I really appreciate what Alex and the 
Institute are doing in recognizing that. And one of the things that he, he said, I, I, really, I don't know if you said it exactly this way, but this is the way I heard it, that like, you know, we've got all these resources, we're at a Baptist university, and we don't have anything about Baptist and catechesis. Would you help us to build out our website, which I was happy to do. Um, but it, I don't think that, that you know, I, I, don't, I would love if my Southern Baptist brothers and sisters would receive this book and implement it in their churches or even use it or try it or something. I'm not, I'm not uh, holding my breath for that. But if they, don't, if they don't do that, I would love for them to develop something that they could use that's not just, you know, another Sunday school manual, you know, something like that. So. Well, well, Chris, I think that you having a relatively small number of points is actually a virtue. Yeah. Because the more detail you get in, the more contested ground you get in. Yeah. And so it's very hard to contest, at least from my perspective, the ones you have focused on. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 that was my hope, and we'll see. We'll see. But, you know, it's not always about content, Barry. It's like, you know, my pastor says I shouldn't read that book. Why not? That, yeah. But, you know, we can hold out. The Lord can do amazing things. So we'll just, start cars. Start cars. Hey, praise God. That's right. I'm telling you, those kids, I cannot tell you, Deborah said that, that like when the car started up, their eyes got that big and they stayed for 20 miles. Like <laughs> I can't believe that that's I've never seen that happen. So, Alex, we'll turn it over to you. Thank you. Let's give Dr. Freeman another hand. Thank you all uh, for coming out. This was a really rich presentation and conversation, so thank you for your, your time and attention and questions. Thanks again to Dayspring for hosting us. Uh, more coffee and, and things to go around, so happy to stay and, and chat for a bit. Uh, but this will conclude this, this portion of the program. <laughs> Thanks again. Have a good day.